Welcome to a healthy bite. You're one nibble closer to a more satisfying way of life, a healthier you, and bite-sized bits of healthy motivation. Now let's dig in on the dish with Rebecca Huff. It's Rebecca here, and today we are talking to Jill Sylvester. She is a licensed mental health counselor and author, and Jill has written two books that we're going to kind of briefly touch on today. One of those is a young adult novel, The Land of Blue, and that is dealing with, correct me if I'm wrong, themes of depression, anxiety, and addiction, which is basically a kind of undercover self-help book for teens. And then the other book we're going to discuss today is Trust Your Intuition, 100 Ways to Transform Anxiety and Depression for Stronger Mental Health. First, I wanted to ask you what in your, obviously something in your counseling must have inspired you to write these books. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I've been a licensed counselor for about 10 years now. And, you know, anxiety is a big thing, um, as we know, as, as moms and as uh, professionals and, and teachers are dealing with this and we're all, it's all kind of in our face. So um, originally I wanted to write the book in order, well, Landa Blue, I'll address that first. Originally I wanted to write the book to help kids navigate OCD and learn how to talk back to their gremlins, which is the term that I use um, in the book and in my practice as a counselor. So um, that was essentially what the book is about. And then it just morphed into something so much bigger, um, really about the, the shadow side and the lighter side that each of us has and the human experience of having those voices talk to us on a, such a negative tone and keeping us down from our greatness. So um, that's, that's really what I'm addressing in the book. So it's a tool for kids. It's a tool for strong readers, 12 and up. Uh, teens, certainly you can take the book as deep as you want to go. And it's a, it's a parenting tool as well. Right. Um, so I'm glad you brought that up. So anxiety and OCD, um, let's focus on anxiety for just a minute. I mean, I know it's a diagnosis, but I think there's a lot of confusion between anxiety as a diagnosis and anxiety as a feeling. I mean, can you kind of, is there a difference or can you talk a little bit about that? So people who haven't experienced anxiety, can I, I like try to identify a little bit with it or understand maybe? Sure. You know, as Harriet Lerner says, you know, anxiety is part of the human experience. We've, we've all experienced anxiety. So yes, it can be a diagnosis to the degree that it becomes dysfunctional in your life and how disruptive it is in your life. Um, my style of therapy is more of a holistic style and then I'm looking at the whole person, um, alternative and traditional means to deal with it, which translates to rather that I try to stay away from clinical diagnosis because I feel like we can get so hung up on having an anxiety disorder and the crutch that it brings, uh, you know, when we, um, when we lean on that. So I, I really try to look at anxiety as something that we all deal with almost every single day. It's just part of being a human being. And when we can look at it from that perspective, it becomes much more normal and far less disruptive when we have the tools to deal with it. So whether you're 10 or whether you're 75, you know, this is just something that I think we all deal with. You know, obviously different people deal with it to varying degrees, but the tools are there to help you navigate it so that it doesn't become something that has to be a disorder. I think a lot of times people will, you know, people say I have anxiety and 
I, th I feel like there's a lot of blurred lines when we use that word because yes, we've all experienced anxiety, but sometimes people will say, I have anxiety. You know, there's kind of a blurred line there. So maybe your explanation can help to clarify that for us a little bit. And then along those lines, I feel like there's another aspect of it and that's panic attacks. I'm wanting you to help us to kind of pick it apart a little bit and see where do panic attacks fit in with anxiety? So panic attacks would be obviously um, far more crippling, so to speak. It's, it's something where we're going to have a real visceral response to something that's making us upset. So take, for example, the kid who has a panic attack before they have to take the SAT or a math exam if they have math phobia. So there's a different reaction where you're almost shut down or it becomes almost crippling. Again, though, a lot of people experience panic. So I try not to have it in a category like, well, someone who gets a panic attack, really someone who suffers from anxiety. It can be. But I think if we reframe as practitioners, but also parents to help kids understand, that means you're really feeling anxious about something that's troubling you. So let's explore why that is. Mm -hmm. Let's explore how we can deal with it and look at it as a way that your body is telling you you're about to engage in something that's really difficult and if we can turn it into an opportunity versus a problem we can step away from the vibration of a panic attack being something so intense and scary and something that becomes far more tangible that we can hold in our hand and start to mold and shape into something that we can work with yeah for myself, I mean, in my mid-40s, I've had what I would consider a panic attack a couple of times. One where I actually went to the emergency room because I thought, I'm 45, I should check and see if I'm having a heart attack. And it was just a panic attack. And then I've also watched a panic attack um, happen to one of my kids. Mm -hmm. And it's much more excruciating to watch our child go through it than it is to go through it ourselves. Um, so what are some of the ways we can identify when this is happening to our children and what can we do to help them? So you're going to see if you're a parent and you're watching a child experience panic, you're going to see them start to shake perhaps they're having a heart attack, which then takes them to that higher level of I'm dying kind of a thing. Right. Um, and they really have shortness of breath and it becomes this real physical response to whatever mm -hmm. it is that's happening. And sometimes they don't know. So sometimes it might be something that's really, you know, in the moment, they see something on social media or there's a, a test like we used earlier. Um, but then other times they don't know why they're feeling that. They're just feeling panic. So I would say the first thing to do is to be right there for them as an anchor um, and, and really try to just get down into that space with them to you know, hold their hand or rub their back or have them take some deep breaths. But letting someone know that you're there for them is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. and to then have them take some deep breaths and anchor themselves down. So in my self-help book, um, Trust Your Intuition, there's a, there's a section on how to ground yourself. So you, you hold on, literally. You hold on to the table. You hold on to the chair. Something that makes you feel like you're back down into your feet. Because when we get anxious, it feels like we're rising up like a balloon and coming out of our bodies. So mm -hmm. it's very important to get your energy back down into your feet and rounding down and holding on to something is one of the first things that you want to do to help someone get back in control so that they can take their panic, let's say from a nine or 10, back down to maybe a six or a seven. 
So the anxiety might still be there, but it's something that's far more manageable so that they can get a sense of what's going on in order to take that next step out of it. Oh, I can see that. Oh, and I can feel it too. I'm like, oh yeah, ground myself. That makes so much sense. I think the the immediate response for me at least, and I feel like a lot of parents can probably relate to this is I've got to fix this. I've got to make it go away. And you kind of just have to to walk through it almost with them. Yeah, definitely. Because what happens is it's a huge trigger when our kids are suffering. And so we immediately want to rescue them. We want to get them out of that. That actually makes it more about us and the distress level that we're unwilling to have about <laughs> it. Perfect sense. You know, we, we can certainly be validated in that. We want to help our kids. But what helps them is to help, you know, be that anchor and right. let them know normal to be afraid sometimes we don't know why sometimes we do it's okay it's our body telling us something and so you want to get them to the place especially in developing life skills for kids so that they can get to a place where they can go off to college emotionally intelligent and ready to do that we want to help them get to a place where they can make sense of it and get them out of it so being that calming force being that anchor and helping them in the moment to just move through it, understand that the body is telling them something. It's very scary, absolutely, but ultimately they're going to be okay and that they're safe. That, that would be the most important thing. And you use the example of taking a test. And I know this is something that does make a lot of young adults very, have a lot of anxiety, very nervous, and sometimes it can cause these panic attacks. So what would you say about getting them through, like, they have to take the test. You know, a, a lot of times I think, especially with teenagers, it's just like, can I stay home from school today? Or I don't want to take that test. How can I get out of it? Right, right. Yeah, you definitely face their fears and walk through it because that's part of, again, readiness for other things. So um, a term I use in my house with my own kids, my son is a sophomore in college and my daughter's a junior in high school. And something I've said for years and years is set yourself, set yourself up for success. So you have to know yourself. If math is a thing for you and that's a trigger, then you have to get yourself set up. So what that may look like for one child um, is, you know, being, uh, if you're home doing your homework, let's say, then maybe you need your favorite drink. Maybe you need a hot chocolate by your side before you start battling it. Maybe you need to get in your pajamas first. Maybe you need to pet the dog first. But something that gets you relaxed, knowing yourself and what makes you comfortable is what you want to do. Now, if you're in school, maybe having some lemon oil to help you focus, right? Just inhaling some lemon oil or some lavender. Maybe you leave with it on your wrists in the morning so that you can inhale that and just calm yourself down or squeeze your hands under your desk. That's a big tool I'll give kids that get really nervous before they're about to do something. No one knows you're doing it. No one, no, you don't look weird. It's nothing that you have to, you know, pull out of your toolbox. It's going to make you look different. You just squeeze your hands under the desk and it's your way of gathering that huge electric buzz that happens when we're nervous and squeezing it into your hands and then just releasing. It's a way of taking a deep breath without looking weird, you know, for, to your peers and then just relaxing. So getting yourself in that successful space in order to move forward and do something you ultimately don't want to do. Very useful. I'm going to remember that. So I wanted to also ask you, before we leave this particular topic, what are some suggestions that you might have for a teenager who is having other negative thoughts, fear, dread, other feelings associated with anxiety, just in general? I, th I think a lot of times teenagers maybe don't even want to talk to their parents, but this is the important first step, don't you think? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, the most important thing I tell kids to do, again, my own, including clients, is to be mindful of what those thoughts are telling you. When we deny the thoughts and we just keep going, this right. is how we create that hamster wheel. We're always running away from that feeling. So we have a hard time sitting still versus being able to be our own best friend, mm -hmm. which again is going to have your child be emotionally ready for greater opportunities. So being able to say, wow, I'm having a thought that tells me, you know, I'm, I'm never going to succeed in this. This is never going to be my sport. I'm never going to achieve that goal. Being able to identify that and articulate it is being brave. That is a sign of strength to be able to address what your gremlins are saying. So that's step one. And then step two would be to have a counter thought. So I'll give you my own example. If I'm running late in the morning and my thoughts are, you know, I'm going to be late. Oh my God, it's, you know, chaos or whatever. I will recognize the thought and then immediately I will say, I'm on time. I'm on time. Mm. And just say the complete counter thought. And, and just like that, it will get you in that space of, that's right. Like I'm calm and I can't even stress how much nine out of 10 times you'll be on time and you'll be calmer. So teaching kids how to identify the thought, recognize it's happening so you're not denying it, but then going into a counter thought, which is I'm going to do great on this math test. I tell kids to say that three times before they take any subject matter. You know, you say, mm -hmm. hey, I'm going to do great on this test. I'm going to do awesome at this basketball game. I'm going to do great on getting my license. Say it three times so that you're reinforcing those neurotransmitters and you're setting yourself up for success. It will make you far more um, in control, much more capable, and also remembering that anxiety is a healthy thing. We need to feel that, you know, that, that level of adrenaline rush in order to be motivated to do something. Otherwise, you know, we're, we're, we'll be complacent, right? And that's not how we grow. I love that. I'm so going to use that with my teenager. That's very helpful. And also, since we're talking about OCD, I wanted to ask you, I think that OCD is on the rise. I hear of more and more of my friends um, who've had children that are diagnosed with OCD. I hear more about OCD, well, and anxiety too. For parents though, for children who are clinically diagnosed with OCD, and I think for people my age and my husband's age, I'm 48, he's 51. We don't have a lot of experience dealing with obsessive compulsive disorder, especially with kids. I mean, you hear about it and you see, you know, like I said before, sitcoms or movies where people have OCD and they take kind of a lighthearted approach to it. But when it comes to kids that have OCD, this is a serious, real thing for them. How do parents just how do you have any tips for parents on how to deal with children who actually are clinically diagnosed with OCD? Yeah, again, talking about using the term gremlins, talking back to your gremlins is really important. So, for example, if we have a kid who can't touch um, doorknobs, let's say, because they feel like they're going to get a lot of germs, um, I would say, you know, you, you got to acknowledge the thought first and foremost. Again, it's being brave. It's acknowledging that it's happening and then being able to talk back to it and say, you know, why is my gremlin, let's say, you know, I, sometimes I'll have kids like call it a name and externalizing their OCD and calling it whatever name that they choose to call it so that they feel a sense of control about it. Um, so it's this like external kind of a thing that's, that's happening in their life versus them inside themselves and they're, they're stuck and unable to get out of it. So I think that's important. So I'll just use gremlin because that's, that's the term that I use will say, you know, why is your gremlin telling you not to do that? And how can you talk back to them? 
So to say, I'm going to be fine if I touch this doorknob, and in 30 seconds, I can go and use my hand sanitizer if I want to, um, but you don't have me kind of a thing. You're not in control of my life. So talking back to them and being able to immediately address it versus having them wear it like this old overcoat, you know, that just becomes part of the running narrative. That's what you want to stop as soon as possible so that it doesn't go on too long. Um, and being able to, again, just address that spectrum. So if they're saying one thing, you're going to say the counter opposite on the other end of the spectrum and being able to navigate it in that way. Um, the other thing I would have them do is get up and move. So there's an excerpt in my, in the Trust Your Intuition self-help book to be able to, when you start to feel like something's gripping you and telling you that you're going to do something wrong or however OCD is manifesting in your life at that moment, get up and move. So maybe they clap their hands really loud and they get up from the table and they walk around the island in the kitchen, you know, or they get up and they say something silly. It can be a mantra. Again, I, having kids and adults own it is really important. So one of my favorite affirmations is we're not doing this anymore. So if you get a thought in your head, that's that same narrative over and over that you're not going to be do or, you know, anything wonderful kind of thing. You say, we're not doing this anymore. And you get up and you move, physically move out of the space so that you can redirect those neurotransmitters to something else. It's when you stay sitting and stuck and having that loop go over and over again, that's going to be like, you know, you look at the clock and 20 minutes have gone by and you haven't done anything productive. So right away, as soon as you catch it, clap your hands, get up, move around, do something different. That is excellent advice. I love it. So going back to the example you used about the child who maybe doesn't want to touch the doorknob, say a parent is, is they want to help their child and they maybe give them gloves. Is that enabling this OCD or is this helping them get through it? What is, you know, I, I'm a big fan of not having kids be victims. Mm -hmm. If we can teach them how to be brave and face it head on, they're going to have far more success in the short term. So I understand the glove thing, but that's kind of letting our gremlins win. You mm -hmm. know? So, you know, let's say the gremlins talk another child, you know, 25 times a day. So if they win 15 and the gremlins have them five, so now we've got a winning record. That would be okay. <laughs> but, you know, we want to more often than not have them beat them. And how that happens is to face it head on, touch the doorknob, feel the feelings of distress, because ultimately you're building distress tolerance, right, for kids. And you say, okay, how do you feel? This is gross. Okay, now let's go over and use the hand sanitizer. Or now let's go over and wash our hands. It's a, that, that's okay to want to wash your hands after a doorknob. You know, that, that touching a doorknob, that's your thing. It's okay. But it's walking them through that discomfort and having them come out the other side that's going to make them feel far more like a winner than something that's going to enable them where they stay stuck in that pattern. Then they'll never be able to do it. All right. And then there's always the time that they don't have the gloves with them. How are they going to open the door? Exactly. Right. So that's good. I like that. Working through it. That's a lot of really useful tips for parents who have children who are dealing with anxiety and OCD. So I'm wondering if you could introduce us to the characters in your young adult novel. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Sure. Um, there's a ton. So I'll just, I'll just mention the, you know, a few. Mm -hmm. um, Cassie is the protagonist. She's 12 years old and her father has gone missing into the land of blue, which is a metaphor for depression and addiction. And the story is about what happens when Cassie chooses to enter the land of blue to find him. So the book is filled with metaphors on how to navigate darkness 
um, how not to repeat the patterns of our parents um, when they're struggling with addiction or depression and how to you know, overcome those feelings within ourselves. Um, she brings her best friend Mariana along the way, who's her voice of reason and someone who comes from you know, the quote unquote perfect family who doesn't have any problems. And so we watch how that plays out and how she's a strong um, um, resource for Cassie, but also how Cassie comes to find her own meaning of how to work through her own things. And then she meets another boy named TJ when she gets to the land of blue, who is also in search of a family member who's gone missing in the land of blue. And so really the journey is about um, their story of, of how to raise in vibration, you know, and, um, and overcome their, their challenges as we all have to do. What a clever idea for communicating what this is like for other people. I read through a bunch of your reviews and I think this book appeals to young people and adults alike. I mean, what have you found? Do you feel like it's kind of split or is it mostly young adults who are actually reading this book? I would say it's split for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, We have 81 five-star reviews and we're very proud of that. And there's quite a mix of young adults chiming in um, and adult, um, adults and teachers. And so it's really nice because we know the book speaks to, you know, each person and their own story with it. And, you know, everybody can pretty much identify with uh, having struggles and challenges and how to, how to deal with it. Well, I just think it's wonderful, Jill, that you took your expertise and, you know, your years of experience in counseling and translated that into a fiction novel that people can actually read for entertainment, but actually learn a lesson from. I just think that's really outstanding. And I just thank you so much for being on the show and talking to us about um, all of these really important issues that I think more and more parents are facing right now in this time period. And so we can find you on your website, which is jillsylvester.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, my book's The Land of Blue for Young Adults and my um, self-help book, Trust Your Intuition, 100 Ways to Transform Anxiety and Depression for Stronger Mental Health. Both books can be found on my website and also through Amazon. Awesome. Thank you so much for being with us. I appreciate your time so much. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for having me. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review so other people can learn about this podcast. Find out more about sleep, hygiene, eating healthy, tasty recipes, zero-waste lifestyle, and lots more on thatorganicmom.com. Help us spread the word. Be blessed and stay healthy.